Right. And what's the name of the other guy? LaVoy. Big boy LaVoy. Big boy LaVoy. It's funny because I thought the audiobook was saying LaVoy. And so I was like, he's LaVoy. LaVoy. Don't mess with LaVoy. Inside the walls. This is episode thirty-three. That's not right. No, it's 31. episode thirty-one. Yeah, that's not right. Girl, you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's? Rachel's uh, like, we're done with the book. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, did I pass out? Are we done? Uh, this wish. is episode. Yeah, this is episode thirty-one. Mad ship chapters twenty-six through thirty. And I'm Rachel, a rereader. I'm Alyssa, a rereader. I'm Jenny, and I'm a new reader. I'm Eli, and I'm a new reader. I'm Elena. I'm a new reader. And I'm Ashley, and I'm a new reader. I have no news or corrections, omissions, and announcements because we're perfect always. <laughs> no praise, saw. Praise, saw. And Ida and Al for good measure. Um, but I do have a reminder that we do have a content warning uh, on this section for chapter 29. So again, I will put the timestamps in the episode description if you would like to skip any part of chapter 29 for uh, rape trauma. Okay. Who is first up? I believe that is me. Chapter 26, Compromises. Hmm. So we start the chapter with our dear sweet Malta getting fitted into the gown her mother, grandmother, and Raish have made her for her debut at the Midsummer Ball. The other women are all very proud of their work, making over old dresses into something new and semi-fashionable, but all Malta can think is, it's homemade. Oh, sweetie, there was no manufacturing in Bingtown. Every seamstress and every tailor uses their own hands to stitch with. And by the way, your mom has done nothing but embroider for her entire adult life. She's probably just as good, if not better. Um, Malta pretends to her family that her gloom is about the fact that her father won't be there to, um, I guess, escort her into the ball. She asks who's going to play that part. And Kefria kind of reluctantly is like, well, we sort of owe Devad restarts and favors. And Ronica just like shuts that shit down. She's like, Malta, you owe him nothing. <laughs> and uh, Malta's like, okay, cool. Then if my papa can't be there, I would like to walk in by myself. Um, and it's kind of a boss move. Ronica is in agreement and she's kind of like, yeah, fuck all these Bingtown assholes who you know, didn't stand by us or didn't step up in our time of need. Vestra women don't need no scrub. Um, And so from there, we go to Althea, who is walking down the live ship dock, pretending to be a lady sailor um, in an uncomfortable outfit that satisfies no one, because Kefri is still like, you look like a sailor. And Althea's like, I look like a lady. This isn't working for my natural stride. It's kind of hilarious. Um, (laughs) So the moral of the story is just don't fucking compromise because it really like <laughs> does you no favors in the end. Um, anyway, we um, along the along the way we're introduced to a sassy blonde flirt of a live ship named named Kendry, 
uh, who basically just goes up and down the Rainwild River, and he kind of rags Althea for her choice of fashion and offers to uh, talk his owner into giving her a, a, a bunk to ride up the river for free, wink, wink, if she has a reason, wink, wink, um, or just take a message to Greg. Um, apparently, you know, word has not gone around that the engagement's off. Oops. Uh, we learn that Paragon is planning to sail before the summer ball. The repairs went super well. Amber has contacts and or superior extortion powers and got some heavy hitter Bingtown artisans to help. Uh, She racked up some useful donations like a pallet of ship's biscuits and also convinced some slaves to come by at night and work, probably in exchange for a berth on the ship when it sails. But Althea tells Brashen um, when he tries to tell her about it, hey, a secret is best kept by one. Uh, so speaking of Brashen, his arrangements for the ship's officers were to have Althea be his second and this bruiser named Lavoy, 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 um, be the first, the first mate. Uh, Lavoy is a big boy. He's unfuckwithable big. Like basically Lavoy the wall is what they call him <laughs> down at the pub. Um, and Lavoy is thirsty to... F- to ch- for a chance to prove that he'd actually make a capable mate, and that's how Brashen could afford somebody, somebody semi-decent on their wages. Um, Althea really can't argue that somebody who can beat ass on every one of their not very socially respectable sailors is probably a better choice than her. Um, oh, and whoops, uh, Amber's going to come along as a ship's carpenter, and Althea, she's going to have to share your quarters. And Oh, also, by the way, Jack wanted to come because it's an adventure, and apparently she sailed a bit in the sixth duchies and might actually be useful so she's going to be in there too because you know sailors they, they can't be trusted so um <laughs> Brashen does admit you can use my cabin when i'm not there and she's like everyone's gonna talk but you know it's paragon let's hope that's the worst thing they have to talk about <laughs> um we get a recount of paragon's moods at the dock and all his moods are like moods with a capital m uh, he's weeping endlessly or repeating a body song like a 12-year-old boy, scaring sailors off the ship when they take it for test runs. You know, the usual. Um, Same. <laughs> <laughs> we've uh, uh, gotten rumors of the Ringgold being late. That's all over Bingtown, and everyone's, you know, not quite worried yet, but kind of R.I.P. Ringgold or he's Draqueus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's see. Uh, Althea oversees the stowing of supplies for Lavoie and eventually decides she knows what he's doing. Um, he's basically just pulling the whole uh, ship, ship life dick measuring show where he has to push enough to make sure she won't be subordinate, but then not so much she can actually complain, complain to Captain Tightpants, which I think we can all agree is how we need to refer to Brashen because like, there's nothing <laughs> saying he's not. And like, you know, why not? Um, so the section ends with Althea bringing her concerns over Jack's lively lusts to Brashen and Amber and Brashen's like, I'll make it known on the ship that like, we're not going to, we're not going to let it start rocking. And Jack overhears the whole thing. She's like, yo bitches, I've actually sailed on a mixed crew. I know how to do this. Um, (laughs) then, oh my God, why do I always pick the longest chapters to summarize? (laughs) We head up the Rainwild River to Rain, arguing with his mother and brother over these hieroglyphic scrolls they are mad he hasn't been able to crack without the Rosetta Stone. Also <laughs> mad that he's been distracted with dreams of sweet, sweet Malta. 
there's lots of dumb family arguing about whether the older brother, Bender, was any less swoony when he went a courting, and whether Rain is doing the family a disservice by going for a pretty traitor girl, not someone practical. <laughs> He's in for a rude awakening when Queen Malta makes her power grab. Um, Rain is like, we need to max out the information from these scrolls. They imply there was another city almost as far as the Mountain Kingdom. No, And then they're like, but nobody's ever found another city well, maybe they didn't go far enough up the river, and then the dragon says, mm. and it's like, fuck the dragon, rain, let it go. <sighs> it was real mad and confusing and went on for a long time. Anyway, uh, Rain is really <laughs> mad that he is not allowed to help Malta at all, and Bender and Johnny point out that he can't commit their family fortune for her, um, and what would he have them do anyway? And he's totally getting played by his mom, who's basically like, I'm the worst, but I have a chance to get him away from that fucking dragon, and I'm going to take it. Oh, gosh, Rain, forgiving the live ship debt, regardless of if Malta marries you and letting you have an adult allowance like the adult man you are to go and see her is like a huge concession. I just, I don't know. What are you going to give me? And um, basically... If he'll agree to give up going to the city without permission, no more visiting the dragon, and only doing the work that uh, they specifically ask him to do, then they'll give him what he wants. And Rain is sold. He's a total romantic at heart. He wants Malta to choose him for him and for love, not because she owes a whole bunch of fucking money to his family. What a sweetheart. <laughs> Actually, that really was kind of sweet. So... <laughs> Uh, once Rain goes, Mama tells Bender to get the fucking log cut up while he is gone to Bingtown. We need that thing inside of it gone. Um, and there were politics that came up at some point, and the three of them basically agree that like they want to be independent from the Satrap and are going to support whatever you know bid is made for that. Uh, and finally, we end up back on Paragon. Like I said, longest chapter ever. Um, and he and Amber are having a conversation about whether she could carve him a new face out of his beard. And she's like super not into this, partly because she doesn't know if it would even work. And partly because Wizardwood just makes her super uncomfortable to work with. Um, and partly because she's like, yo, I'm not a sculptor. I make wooden beads and I might end up having to like redo your entire body to make it proportional. And I'm not I'm not OK with that. But he gets her to agree to think about it, which basically means we know she's going to do it because um, that's just that's just how it goes. They're friends. Yeah. I like that she thinks about it, though, because a lesser artist would be like, sure, I'll redo your head. And then he'd have this tiny little pinhead. <laughs> it would be like <laughs> the Jesus fresco. <laughs> My thing is, and she says it herself, it's like, so, okay, she chops off his beard, carves him a new face. Like, is this, like, the fucking mask, and he sticks it on, and it fuses to him? Or, like, I don't... <laughs> I just... How is it not just going to be, like, an adornment that, you know, hangs? You know, she made um, Ophelia a bracelet, or, like, jewelry, out mm -hmm. of her leftover parts, but that was... It's not like that was a living breathing part i don't know oh i just some did the jewelry grow a face and start talking right or... <laughs> yeah does she have her very own charm bracelet it's a legit concern though because when i went to get my undercut for the first time i too thought they would find a weird little face back there so maybe <laughs> underneath paragon's face there's a weirder smaller face it could be just waiting to come out. 
like a Voldemort. One of those little points. Like a Voldemort. Yeah. It's the uh, it's the angry side of him. Yeah, that's what happens is the face just spins around. <laughs> <laughs> it's hidden under his so, beard right now. I really want to talk about the injustice that uh, Althea has towards Jack. Like, excuse you, <laughs> <laughs> but you don't know who who you're talking about. Jack's cool. Well, just like sharks. I mean, also, like, I don't know, projection much, Althea? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You can't control yourself around Brashen, so you're like, oh, you know, somebody who's actually honest about, like, her lust and her sex life um, and her desires, like, totally is not going to be able to separate work from play. Like, I can't wait for right? Althea. And also, like, and, oh, go ahead. No, I just can't wait for Althea and Jack to share a cabin together. And oh no, there's only one bed. but also like i mean althea had gone through like the whole crew and was like they're all rejects so like who exactly do you think jack is going for if none of them are good enough for you or are you thinking that maybe she's gonna go for brashin and that's your problem Mm. maybe other people have different tastes than you althea well, six duchies, best duchies, so step off. <laughs> so what about that uh, that city up in the mountain kingdom? That <laughs> Oh, was that in this chapter? Yeah, so I definitely think that that's the city that um, where the river was, the Skill River. Yeah. For sure. Yes. And now they just need to get there. And they're like, no one's ever found it. No one's ever discovered it. Nice. I'm like, that's not true. Nobody just ever goes north. Nobody ever <laughs> just walk a little further. Because they're like the barbarians are there. Who wants to go north? Yeah. There's like some crazy shit up there if you just keep walking. And it's cold? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> but pretty in the summer. Yeah. All 30 days of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> And if you find yourself in a in like a excavation yard, just keep, keep walking. Going. Keep walking. Just keep walking. Don't build a dragon. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't carve a dragon. Don't carve a dragon. Um, I liked Kendry. Only because like Kendry's like aggressively normal. <laughs> <laughs> in like a book full of just weirdos so it's it's re- it's like a relief <laughs> it's like you know this person isn't gonna freak out and like tear my head off or figure out how to kill me later or try to date me <laughs> just normal just there <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. It was he reminded me of, of Ophelia, um, where it's just like these lab ships are so fucking gossipy, and like they're all up in each other's business and their humans' business, and like you know, I guess what else do you have to do? But oh yeah, well I mean they're like one they're slaves, but I mean they're like they've got 
extra natural ability to read the people's minds that are on them. Mm-hmm. So it's I don't I don't know. If I you think could... I think more importantly is they seem content, even though they're slaves. Some of them, like some of them, but like Ophelia and Kendry, like they're this is what what this is what the traders think of when they think of live ships. So this seems mm-hmm. to be the majority of them are like this. Even Ringsgold wasn't seemed to be happy with his lot right, before he right. was like drowned. That's a, right. That's a really good point. I was I was getting more at like their gossipiness. I think that like if you could read people's minds and then go talk to other people about it, you probably would want to. <laughs> You'd probably be a gossip oh, yeah. too. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, maybe not me. I I hate people, but if <laughs> there are you plenty of people paragon. who like people. um how no but that's a really that's a really good point rachel i (laughs) yeah i just think they seem fairly content for being stuck the way they are yeah especially after what we've just learned in the last section ashley you were going to say something I was. What was I going to say? Oh, um, Rain's mom is so shysty. And to be like, go chop up that log right now. And he, his brother's like, <laughs> well, let's like at least wait until he's gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe that would be smart. I don't know. I wonder if her dreams are being plagued by dragons as well. I doubt it. She doesn't have a conscience. I don't think they're going for her. It's not very receptive to it. I mean, think about it from her point of view, though. It's like, this is her son, right? Like, and her son is being threatened by something that she can do something about. I mean, I kind of support her and her dragon (laughs) hatred. And, you know, not wanting to unleash them on the world. She's got a Chop it up! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, it's, it's also, you know, kind of, you know, objectively terrible to do to a species but also she's got a point yeah and they sound terrible (laughs) right and they didn't put them there they just found them there and spent a very long time figuring out what they were so it's not their fault is this the necessarily oh sorry is this the chapter where they talk about paragon and how he was made Mm -hmm. did we like that whole thing seems super fucked up too. These people are just not good people. Continue, continue, yeah, yeah. continue, please. Well, I, sorry, and I a little hazy on my chapters because I read them all like really spread apart. But it, there is a section where they're talking about the way that they built Paragon and that they didn't like. What was it that they didn't use a hundred percent wizard wood or like they didn't create it's mixed wood? Lots. Yeah, mixed wood. They, you- and like and concentrate yeah and so they were like well he's a shitty ship because we like we did that our bad oopsies meantime like who knows how much that family had to pay for that ship and they got like the janky one and poor paragon is this tortured <laughs> fucking soul trapped inside of this ship i don't know more than one he's just they're not good people and i don't like it <laughs> 
I agree with you. I mean, they know that they've made mistakes. They're kind of like, uh, like a like the setup is a little mafia esque, right? Because like whatever they do is secret, mm-hmm. and even it's even secret from like themselves, yeah. almost like. And and they weren't necessarily the people making the decisions that they all now have to live with, but. You know, to be someone like Rain, to go against the grain and say, well, I think we should help these, you know, these creatures. It's like, well, what, you want to destroy the family? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like only a handful of people actually really knew what was going on. And they didn't, they didn't really understand it until maybe just now they're kind of sort of understanding it. But you um, know, they're also they like took the short only family like, no that good really understands that. the. But they're in like their ridiculous wealth is based upon it, right? And so mm-hmm. they're they're ridiculous like trying to justify like their what Jamal is probably economy. realizing is horrific in their head. Yeah, that's some garbage. Poor Paragon. He didn't. It's ask like if for Bill this. Gates was like, "Oh, uh, computers are made of people." don't tell anyone (laughs) (laughs) you know it's that level of money i mean we don't know for sure they're probably dead it's probably just magic yeah i want to know what they do to the to the dragons that come out of the wood when they chop it up like where do they do how do they dispose of that jackets jackets is that what you said really cool pants (laughs) You're saying they put them in jackets and pants, or they make them into jackets and pants? <laughs> They're jackets and pants that conform to your exact body type. Yes. The they just weakened it, Bernie's them around yeah. the Rainwell yes. City. And the longer you wear them, the more they fit you. <laughs> you know, like Doctor Strange's cape. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Drinking that mead. <laughs> but that is a very good uh, observation. Yeah. About Paragon's construction. They just. They're, he's poor Paragon. I think he should be able to kill himself, honestly. It's not fair. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we know there is a way for that to happen now. Yeah. If yeah, they can find a find tango a nice circle and say, "Eat me, <laughs> poor tortured soul." Just put him out of his misery. Just unfortunately, all of our favorite characters happen to be riding around on Paragon right now. So, like, let's not. May- let's not. Maybe they can just eat the you know silver strands of memory and like leave some doors for them to float on and share. Yeah. <laughs> And then hopefully Althea shares her door with Brashen and doesn't just make him sink into the cold depths of the unknown. (laughs) I'll never let go, Brashen. I'll never let go. So we also (laughs) learned that it was not only the different types of wood that were used in construction of him. They made him, he's like extremely top heavy because he's supposed to be like overloaded with cargo all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then they were also talking, Althea was talking about how he's a quote lively ship which i have heard before but i didn't know what it meant really but i guess it means you're like it's like they rock you know you're super unstable you can yeah. <laughs> bounce all <laughs> over the place 
Right. So the people that made extra him buoyant. were extra greedy. They were yeah. extra greedy because not only did they make him out of like in a way that wasn't the way that people traditionally made the live ships, they made him too big because they knew that they wanted to pack him as full as they could. Like, but then they were too know. cheap to use the good wood. That's shitty. Right, and that's why one of the reasons he probably flips over all the time, right? Because mm-hmm. if you don't put the correct, mm-hmm. if you don't pack him correctly and you don't put enough in him, he's very, he's very top heavy. But if like Althea and Brashen, if they can identify that nature about him, then why wouldn't the Ludlucks have gone back and been like, yo, you built us this ship and it doesn't sail well. Like, fuck you guys. Because they said make him take as much cargo as possible. I think he was built to spec. Yeah. But he's it was just a shitty spec. Yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, it, it also per- perhaps presumes um, people who know what the fuck they're doing with a ship. Yeah. So, like, somebody, you know, like, um, you know, Althea's father who was very conscientious about how things were loaded on the ship. I mean, that was something that was brought up in the first book. Um, and it was a problem Althea had with Kyle is that he was not conscientious about how cargo was loaded. And she's like, yo, you have to pay attention to that. You have to think about the balance. Um, like that, like, so somebody like Efren Vestret probably could have, um, dealt with a ship like Paragon because he would have understood the physics of it. Yeah. Whereas, um, Maybe the Ludlucks were simply like the greed of it, and the Rainwilds were assuming that they understood the physics of sailing better than they did. Yeah, I think the people who intended to sail him knew exactly what they wanted to carry, and how much, and where, and where they were going. Meth. He wasn't like, <laughs> yes, a lot of meth. They're meth smugglers. <laughs> They're my neighbors. Where <laughs> Shade had to get it from somewhere. Yeah, you're right. I mean, again, six duchies. They just—they're like at the forefront of all <laughs> of all the drugs, <laughs> of all the all the discoveries that need to be made. Everyone else ain't moving around enough. Okay, let's move on to chapter twenty-eight. Twenty-seven. 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 Let me scroll up. There we go. Chapter twenty-seven. Alright, uh, chapter 27 is called Kingdom's Foundation. Uh, we open with Vivacia, whose holds are full of Kenneth's latest treasures. She's waiting for him to come back from his latest stop on his little victory tour as they visit each of the towns that they've set up with their little ship shares. Uh, this time it's askew, and Vivacia doesn't think very highly of it. But she's waiting impatiently, and she recalls uh, a conversation she and Winter have had about Kenneth's actions versus his motives. And Vivacia is in love, so she can only see the good, while Wintrow has to begrudgingly admit that uh, what Kenneth does is theoretically good, but he just doesn't trust his motives yet. And I feel like Wintrow should make tre- make friends with the charm bracelet, because I feel like they'd have a lot to say to each other. <laughs> um, so Kenneth, Kenneth's back, and he's got more treasures, and it's all about the books, and Vivacia is momentarily sad because it means that Wintrow will be spending all his time teaching Edda to read, but then she catches on and realizes that... This is all Kenneth's secret plan to spend more time with her. So she's super flattered, and Kenneth only encourages it more by telling her about how reading is going to give Edda new skills to leave the ship so Vivacia can be his pirate queen. And he's even got her a fancy headscarf, which he helpfully ties on after being, like, super creepy and, like, stroking his her hair and, like, twining the yeah. strands through his fingers, and it was gross. So gross. Um, <laughs> so gross. <laughs> and so next we find... 
Wintro is super excited about the new books, especially the fancy herbal that Kenneth got, which just makes me think of Fitz and Mits him. Um, and Edda wants him to tell her what it says, but he encourages her to read it for herself. And hey, Wintro's hooked on phonics lessons have totally paid off because Edda can read. And she's thrilled, and Wintro's thrilled, and he keeps staring at her, and it's weird. And uh, he recalls what a difficult student she was and how he'd gone to complain to Headmaster Kennet. And he had accused him of uh, not wanting to teach her because she was a whore or perhaps because he was just too terrified of how attracted he was to her. And oh no, Winter's been caught out, but he would never. It's fine. And Kenneth's like, oh, it's fine, lad. I can't say I blame you. Wink, wink, nudge, shove them together. So anyway, Winter's back staring at the way Edda's bosom rises and falls. And he's all over the top and telling her she shines and that her soul gleams like silver beneath the patina of hard use and any man would love her. But Edda's insistent that she is Kenneth's and Winter was super jealous. Uh, So we go back to Kenneth who's had a super long but satisfying day, but his stump hurts and he just wants to sleep. So he's less than thrilled when Edda is like, welcome to my poetry jam and starts reading from the book she picked out. So Kenneth really wants to take a nap and he's, grumpy so he's all oh etta at least have taste and pick some better stuff to memorize but she can read and she's got to tell him about it and then they have a conversation about how best she can thank wintro for what he's done for her and Kenneth encourages her to return the favor and teach him the very special skills that only she knows which clearly he's thinking sex and a little baby <laughs> bestrit etta on the other hand is like i know i'll teach him how to knife fight <laughs> So that poem, the poem that she re- uh, reads, isn't that the same poem that the charm repeated to her? Uh, uh, I don't think I so. Don't think so. I don't know. That was the song. No? He said the song that they heard on the on the deck. Remember? It was like a song. It was some reference that I thought the charm liked it, and then because Kenneth saying he didn't like it was weird. I don't think it's the same. I don't know. I could be totally wrong. Uh-uh. I don't remember. Because I thought that was like a clue to Edda that things weren't as they seemed. Maybe we can look it up later and we'll have something for next week's corrections. (laughs) (laughs) Or the listeners can tell us. And perhaps an email that you would like to write to us so we don't get lonely. I just, I don't, this whole storyline is just like, I don't. It's like a bad soap opera. It's like. I don't know. It's pretty insane. It just seems far-fetched to me. Well, I think it highlights that Kenneth is just, like, a freaking psychopath. Like, yeah. yeah. No one thinks like this. No one feels like this. You can't just put them together like animals and expect them to breed. (laughs) But then it's actually working, and that's the part that I take issue with. Well, is it, though? Or is it simply that, like, yes, they're both attracted to each other, but they're both also sort of like, that's not okay, because, you know, she's very committed to someone else. Well, yeah, and I don't necessarily know if Etta is, like, I mean, I don't think she is is. at all. I think she's like, oh, this is a, this, this sweet 14-year-old. Yeah, so she likes to comment about his hairless body, which, you know, low blow, he's a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Look at how smooth you are. <laughs> oh no! But you know, like she wants, she she wants to teach him how to knife fight. Like she's his big sister. Like yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Winter. I mean, it was obviously working on Winter. Super thirsty. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. 
I think any girl would work on Wintrow at this point. But... <laughs> Especially I since can... he lost Vivacia and her big, nice big titties to a Kenneth. He still yeah. got, got them on her on his face. Yeah. Never yeah. forget. But he can't mirror. enjoy them on Does his own face. Does he have a mirror? I don't, know if he could, I don't know if he gets to see those. I mean, he gets to see when her. Is he going to get like a pin-up tattoo of Edda on his arm or something? <laughs> I can't describe to you how big my spile was when she pulled out a knife. <laughs> I, I, I was just like, yes! You just want a knife fight, right? Always. But if anybody really needs to learn how to defend himself, it, it's Wintrow. Like, I think we're like past time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it yeah. was definitely, I mean, those were better skills for her to teach him. I, Way I, more useful. Anybody sure. can figure out how to have sex eventually. Like, no one had a knife fight. That's way more important. <laughs> Agreed. Also, yeah, yeah, I super love that has you... happened to oh, him. Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying that enough shit has happened to him that I can't believe he wasn't, like, attempting to learn this anyway from someone. Right. Right? Who was he going to learn it from? Sadar? <laughs> <laughs> I love that when she Kyle. threw the knife to him that he hurt himself. <laughs> Catching it. I'm like, Aw, that's me. <laughs> well, you know, you can't fear the knife. So. <clears throat> well, I also will say I'm kind of proud of him for how honest and forward he was with her about his emotions of just being like, look, lady. I think you're fine, and I want a piece of that. But not in, like, an offensive way. Because he straight up said, like, I'm jealous of Kenneth. I think you're awesome. Do with that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was definitely, like, um, a, a classy confession. Yeah. Yeah, he hasn't been... He hasn't withdrawn into himself as much as I would expect someone to have going through what he has gone through. Like, he still has emotions, you know? Like, he still has, like, an inner monologue that isn't just a lot of lies. Like, he's the opposite of Kenneth. Mm-hmm. You know? He had really good training, and I think um, I think the the priesthood served him well for actually, like, being able to to have uh, essentially resilience, you know, is, is what it amounts to, which is being able to, like, frame a situation and take take the good and leave the bad and, like, walk away intact, if not unchanged. Yeah, it made him, like, emotionally mature, if mm-hmm. if not experientially mature or... Right. Yeah. Like, he was certainly naive about many things, but he could communicate with himself. Mm-hmm. And that town gloss just comes in time. But also, oh my god, I hate Kenneth so fucking much. Um, <laughs> I think I was ranting to, to Rachel about this in a text thread, not on, uh, on air last time. I hate him so fucking much for lying to Etta. And like, I basically... Know playing her and tricking her and making her think that he gives a shit and like because she is so excited like obviously it it meant so much to her that she can now read like she started crying in front of Wintrow who like you know somebody as guarded as Etta probably 
was not comfortable showing that emotion to anybody. Um, But, um, you know, that's where she was. That's how much it meant to her. And, like, she's like, oh, my God, I'm going to take this shiny new thing that I can fucking do. And I'm so proud of myself for it. I'm going to show my lover who loves me and, like, supports me. And he basically shits on it. Like, and I'm just like you. Oh, my God, I hate you so much. And... Like and he and the whole time, like we, when he's talking to Vivacia about how quickly he can get her off, and like when she crawls into bed with him, he's like, "Oh, I should give her her own fucking bunk. I don't like sleeping with her." Like it's just is making it so clear that he doesn't care about her, or if he does, like he's so like psychologically unable to reconcile himself to that that he like is pushing her even further away, um, and it just like it it really really angers me um, a lot. I agree. He's the worst. He sucks. Oh, and we didn't lead you there for that person who got angry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Oh, man. Yeah, that, that, that's, my own own. That, that's my own personal beef based on some experiences I've been party to or witness to or whatever you want to call it in my life. And it's just that shit is not okay. Yeah, no. Teach you how to knife fight. Dog. All right. Now chapter 28 for realsies. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 28 is called The Departure of the Paragon, not to be confused with The Departure of the Paragorn, or by extension, The Departure of Boromir. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's Paragon's graduation day, and I love books because sometimes you get to have three conversations about how many times you've had those conversations which is no less than a page and a half of this chapter. (laughs) So they've been having sea trials. Paragon's excited and anxious. We learn that Amber yarfs on the water and hates sailing. And who hired this crew? This is undoubtedly the seediest bunch of cutthroats, villains, and scoundrels I've ever seen. So who hired them? If you get that joke, thank you, whoever you are out there. (laughs) But... The crew seemed, quote, infected with the live ship's fear, but Althea isn't going to tell them that. Can I get a round of applause for Devad, who got his carriage repaired? But (laughs) no, please don't clap for this man. (laughs) Malta, her mother, and Grandma are all taking a beach trip with this world's biggest slave-owning buffoon to see Paragon off. Everyone's dressed to the nines with rehashed old clothing in the DIY spirit. Malta's getting catcalled by sailors and likes it, which, okay. (laughs) I wasn't mad at it. (laughs) Get it, girl, question mark. So (laughs) they make it out to oiled up Paragon, and Ronica death metal shouts at him, Good day, Paragon, what a fine day to begin a voyage. And Paragon says, Oh my god, I'm blind, not deaf. (laughs) Malta makes note of how Brashen looks a little less like shit today, and how her Aunt Althea was probably wearing those matronly matronly clothes for show, and how Amber's figure is too slim for her taste. Oh, braided hair, how foreign. (laughs) They're taken around on a tour of the ship by Brashen, and Malta does not want to go below deck, but uh uh-oh, Althea did a silent, oh my god, watch her, to Amber, so while everyone goes below, Amber sidles over for the small talk. 
It says that after they do their little formal greeting, Amber touches Malta's hand with her gloved one and it sends a shiver up Malta's arm, but she is not going to let this conversation die. And this leads to Amber delivering, delivering her a small fortune about how a small life will never satisfy her. Amber then tells her my favorite quote in the whole book, which is that tomorrow owes you the sum of your yesterdays, no more than that. Malta says, wow, Paragon looks hot today. <laughs> what a handsome transom. And <laughs> changes the hell out of that subject. Joke's on her, though, because Paragon goes spooky and says, I was a king, but you have made me this, a sexy boat. <laughs> <laughs> then Malta has a seizure and has visions of two dragons fighting over her in the void. And she comes to after a mystery voice called her back, and she is saying, I am Malta, over and over. Kefria's like, uh. Paragon's apologizing. Selden is crying. Amber is like, shrug emoji. And Ronica is <laughs> shushing Selden. It's a whole mess. They move past all of this, though, very extremely quickly. And they're saying goodbye all of a sudden. <laughs> and they're loading into the boat to go back to shore. And Brashen is promising he'll take care of Althea. And Althea will probably break his jaw for that later. And <laughs> Amber has an intimate goodbye with Malta. The sight of the ship disembarking is graceful and gorgeous. Paragon declares, I fly again. And Kefria and Malta are so moved, they both whisper prayers like, May Sa speed you. And the wind whispers back, Fuck you. <laughs> oh, man. Malta. Malta. You are, even though I know it's not her fault, as a person who has fainted in public and been accused of doing so to make it about her when um. it was not. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel her in this instance because, yes, she probably would have if she'd thought of it. <laughs> but it really was done to her. I can't decide, though... Do, like, does Malta have a special power? And that's why she can hear the dragons talking to her? Or did the dragons just choose her as a target and they could talk to anybody? It just happens to be her that they're talking to. I mean, I assume, considering what we learn in later, the later chapter, whatever chapter that is, where Rain is talking about how the dragon changed him. Mm-hmm. That's that it's similar. One. Yeah. And well, we've also talked about before how, like, like Rain is the person that gets sent into, you know, the to do all of the work because he's more sensitive. Right. Than right. others. So it's, it seems to be a, a similar sensitivity issue. So I guess she seems to be power. having the same problem that he's having with Kendry later. Yeah. Right. Where... You know, it's no longer the figurehead that's speaking to him. It's the, the you know, soul the of dragons, dragon past. souls yeah. trapped inside. So what it I reminded me of that happened. Not necessarily saying it's the same, but it reminded me of how like Fitz was super skill sensitive, and then he got sort of blocked off from it, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. Verity was able to open him up to it again. It seems like sort of a like the dragon opening them up. 
more to oh like they have like a little hole and the dragon like smashes it through it like yeah you can hear me bitch yeah yeah it's like lowering their guards or something to experience it more yeah i could go with that i just like to me it seems like if humans and dragons were living in this same town together that the dragons would be able to talk to all of them and not just some of them. I don't know. Well, I mean, speaking is different than, like, communicating through a wall. Yeah. I, you know, like, I, I feel like this is more like telepathy kind of. Like well, and I guess it's kind of what I meant. I should have said communicating versus, like, speaking. Right, and again, if if it's the ship... This isn't like a full blown dragon, right. right? This is like the echo of a dragon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so maybe I don't you know. have to be extra sensitive. Maybe it's a little bitty tiny voice. It's a little Kenneth Charm mm-hmm. voice. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like um, you know, pe- people have different sort of sensitivities and innate um, like capacities, and so. You know, maybe for whatever reason, you know, Rain and Malta both have an innate capacity for hearing this that's like a 10 and the average person is like a two or a three or a zero or, you know, something where it's maybe not that most people have like some little, you know, it's kind of there, but really they're, they're going to hear it when their life is flashing before their eyes, you know, with a monsoon or tsunami wave coming at them. And that's about the only time. Versus it being like a regular thing. Mm-hmm. And the dragon was like, oh, hey, you're looking at the wrong frequency. Let me change your, turn your antenna mm-hmm. towards me a little more. But speaking of this, like, okay, so Malta's on, you know, having this like moment. But who was there preceding all of these things? Where's gloves? Uh, Where's braids? <laughs> okay, so that's what... It, yeah. Oh, well, she's on, um, like... Her, I can't figure that bitch out either. I don't know. Amber? <laughs> yeah. I have a theory about Amber, but I don't want to say it until the next chapter. Well, so in this chapter, the mom notices that um, Amber had her gloves off and that when she was putting her gloves on, that her hands looked funky. Yeah, disfigured. Mm-hmm. I've been talking about this bitch and her gloves for a minute now, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so did she touch Malta? She must that have. the implication? With her disfigured hands? Just putting well, that out there. When, um, I mean, they do like definitely shake hands, um, or she takes her arm or something, and there's that frisson of energy that Malta feels, um, mm-hmm. which may have been like casual skin contact that she was unaware of. And then what suddenly she has a whole seizure. How, how uh, Malta came back to herself. Mm-hmm. Seemed mm-hmm. like a skill hug. Yeah. There was a skill hug. Okay, besides Paragon, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Selden exists. Don't forget. What exists? Selden. Selden. Oh, Selden. Oh, yeah, yeah, he cries a lot. Yeah, he's a whiny little bitch. He can go home. I mean, he's a little kid. I know he's not really. He's just sensitive. 
but how old is he supposed to be? Who now? knows? Yeah, that's that, that's what I was wondering. Like, he seems it's a, he seems super like crying. They and, make like, it seem like he's like, six, but like really he's like ten. Yeah, I'm gonna go with yeah. That. When like, I they first make it introduced seem like him, like I thought he was like pretty close to Malta's age. Yeah, and yeah. he's supposed to be like nine or ten or, at this point. I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm not like. Is is there something wrong with him? Like, <laughs> I think this is what yeah, happens they just when you don't shove him in a room alone all the time. And he's not well, yes, it's exactly what happens when you ignore a kid for ten years. But like, obviously, <laughs> like they're fucking it up real good for Selden. He's been raised by wolves. Mm-hmm. I, can't that might have been better have considering been the wolves better, we know. Yeah. <laughs> I was so upset. Like the the very first thing that Kefria thought when Selden was talking was like, "God, why is this kid so whiny?" Like it's like it's like literally anything else you could be worried about right now. Yeah, like could you be less goddamn attuned or like caring? Like yes, your daughter had a seizure and you're like trying to deal with that, but like you're fucking four or six or ten year old son just witnessed his sister have a seizure and fucking fall down and he's upset. No, we're, like, we're watching the equivalent of like the Kardashians but like they are. True. They're just like these shallow rich people who have never really had to like try very hard and suddenly life has thrown them this curveball that is making them have to try and care and think and be responsible for so much and they just like hate it so it's like a simple life with the vestrits yeah exactly (laughs) i never watched that show i have no idea what i'm talking about like althea's like the black sheep one that actually like wants to go out and have a career but is totally willing to use every bit of privilege and contact that she has in order to do so (laughs) the rest of them just want to sit around and like get their hair done (laughs) yeah i think i mean it's pretty telling when like they uh even mention the idea that slavery might be bad and i cheer like it's (laughs) <laughs> they're, just, they're just not that great a low bar which is kind of sad because like you know it was set up at the beginning that like they're um, especially with Efren that he has this very like strong internal moral compass and he like you know goes mm-hmm. his own way and you know would never countenance like that kind of thing with his ship and you know his family and all that Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're set up to be the protagonists from page one, and then you're. It's just not, not really. Well, I mean, Hob does that well, though. Like, she always gives us these like deeply flawed characters that have to impress us again because they fuck up so hard, right? Yep. <laughs> they they earn our ad- admiration like through their actions like even Fitz fucked up and we were like oh god are you stupid is this how this is gonna be (laughs) that happened a lot gotta love them but you know they don't just get to be the stars because they were cast that way Mm -hmm. they they earn it well some of them earn it and some of them don't anything else that we want to talk about on the very exciting day on Paragon's decks Okay, so chapter 29 is our, um, has a content warning for uh, rape trauma, 
I'm not going to talk about it that much, but if you want to skip it, uh, check the description for the timestamps. So chapter 29 is called Bingtown Convergence, which is the name of my cover band where we rewrite Genesis songs to be Realm of the Elderly centric. <laughs> so I have In Too Deep, Invisible Touch, Home by the Sea, No Son of Mine. I mean, this shit writes itself. <laughs> Wow. She's into so <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Uh, so Cirilla is still aboard the big ship patriarchy, and she's doing a pretty stealthy <laughs> managing of her prisoner, quote unquote, Satrap Magnodon Cosgo. And she's pretty sure that the plan is for the Chalcedians to make a big show inside of Bingtown that will result in the sacrifice of Cosgo and therefore give them all the perfect excuse to invade. But Cirilla doesn't want the, you know, she doesn't want this place that she studied all her life to cease to exist just as she arrives. And also she doesn't want to get like, you know, taken as a, you know, a sex slave. So she resolves to warn the old traitors somehow. Cirilla is feeding the satrap a steady diet of soggy bread and bullshit <laughs> to keep him thinking that he's very sick and being nursed to health while she eats all the choices shit meat for herself. Side note, why is it always like poppy and milk of the poppy in these fantasy novels? Like, why not invent your own poppy? I just, every time it happens, I'm always like, why? Yeah, I agree. There's all these other drugs in these books, but we're going to do poppy. Um, Her vengeance right now is small, but pretty dang good. She eats really slowly and to her own satisfaction before even thinking of helping the whiny baby man to eat in some (laughs) stone cold killer vibes. And I really like it. I definitely just kept thinking of um, Misery with Kathy Bates. (laughs) (laughs) It's very much that vibe. Yeah. Yeah, that vibe. So we jump to Ronica, who, after hearing the bells being rung to summon everyone for an emergency meeting, which has to be pretty scary, uh, she's grabbed her family and they beat it to the gathering spot and they kind of hitchhike a little bit because, you know, of course, they're poor and they have nothing. So they're walking (laughs) and they live the farthest because they used to be the richest. Uh, So it turns out that there are Chalcedians in the harbor and they've sent some live ships out to meet them, but everyone is worried that they're about to get raided. And so everyone heads down to the harbor and it's just a pandemonium, you know, like, where do we go? Who's doing what? Who's filling buckets with water? Because Chalcedians use fire. So Malta is kind of mad about having to babysit and she's also thinking about how she's supposed to be preparing for her big town debutante's ball and not worrying about this kind of world ending shit, which is like, haha, Malta's same, actually. <laughs> and... <laughs> Very relatable. We're right there with you. <laughs> uh, so Ronica is the Cuomo of the moment and she says, quote, this is today and this is your life. Not like super so not helpful. <laughs> She admits that it's not helpful. She also says this is my, like, just zen sort of acceptance. Right? (laughs) This is reality, Greg. So meanwhile, Rain is on the Kendry heading to Bingtown. So we kind of jumped in time because last time we saw Kendry, he was in Bingtown. So it seems like he's gone there and almost back again. And Rain is chatting about, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, He is heading down to Bingtown for the the debutante ball. Obviously, because that was the whole, like, lore that Johnny gave him. So, Greg Tanira, eternal passenger of the Kendry, is also there. (laughs) And Rain and him chat about girls for a while, and it's not at all uncomfortable them talking about these non-relationships that they're both in with arguably very unsuitable partners. And Rain (laughs) takes this time to also be like, hey, revolution, eh? And Greg is all like, hey. 
but Greg is kind of worried that they're, you know, they might be doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. But Rain is like, nah, we're the ones with the real culture and the real economy and everyone else is just a leech. Sorry, I keep watching the Cuomo press briefing, so I'll just get off of that. So then it's immediately back to talking about Althea and Brashen again. God, Greg, so get a life. So meanwhile, the Kendry decides to be part of this conversation suddenly and it makes Rain really uncomfortable because he knows the truth that a live ship is just a murdered dragon and the dragon dreams are getting stronger and we have a little kind of echo of what happened with Malta in this scene. Uh, this trapped dragon is, you know, they have their talents right in his cere cerebellum and he's not having a comfortable trip. And since this chapter appears to be in real time, we jump now to Cirilla, who stands on the deck of the ship, her shoes full of jewels for her impending flight, trying to grasp as much independent power as she can from both the Satrap and the Chalcedians, all to get these ships get off these ships and into Bingtown where she thinks that she's going to be safe. So convincing Cosco to let her speak for him, she and studiously ignoring the captain who is standing near her. This is the same guy that brutalized her that she kind of can't even look at directly because she is traumatized. Uh, she talks to the old traders, you know, shouting at them to their ship. And she's like, hey, you know, come get me. But like, Oh, but really come get me. So she says that Costco <laughs> needs to come ashore because he's weakened by illness. And hey, look, Devad's there. And he's like, yeah, man, come on board. And then everyone gets mad at him because he's a doofus. And the rest <laughs> of the traders aren't too trusting of these Chalcedians for obvious reasons. So, I mean, God, Devad is just so stupid. So the rest of them, they decide, okay, Cyrilla can come over on her own. So she does. She It's very tedious, long, like, five-page scene of how she, like, clambers over there. And then once aboard, she talks to the captain, and she says she's got these papers that make her the Satrap's envoy. But since they aren't immediately falling all over themselves to serve the Satrap, she decides to risk telling them that there's actually a plot afoot and the Satrap is in danger. And there's about to be, like, a big, like, you know, power shift. So this is all some shit for the Trader Council, and we've got a real democracy going on. So they're like, yeah, you can come ashore and explain yourself to the rest of the council. Um, but again, where is she going to stay? And that's when Devad says he's got that covered. So that's, <laughs> that's where we're at. No, I think Cirilla should run for her life. I know. I hate that she's <laughs> getting paired up with him. Like, no, that's not who she needs. But he represents the part of... Bingtown that still likes Jamelia, and she's an agent of Jamelia, so it, it kind of makes sense. But well, she's yeah. gonna have to figure out who she needs to talk to. Yeah, I'm just saying, and if she's definitely needs to not like Devad, make herself look good, buddying up with Devad is maybe not the best way to go. Yeah, um, she, yeah, I love when she's yelling over them, be like, Hey, let me on your ship, and she's like, I'm a woman without a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I am no threat to yeah. you. Please take me. I am me. a lonely female. We are but poor circus performers. <laughs> I can't help but wonder if this is stupid Devad's whole point in those, these books. <laughs> to host so Cirilla? An, an Airbnb for Cirilla? Yeah. Is he going to do some play here that's going to matter? Is this going to be his thing? I don't know. Well, he did get them Paragon, so I guess he served that purpose, which oh, will he yeah, tell everyone yeah, who will listen. True. Yeah, and he did open his big mouth instead of letting anyone debate whether or not Cirilla could come on board and just saying yes. Yeah. yeah. 
really loudly. He's just like, yes, you can come on board the ship that's not mine. Right? <laughs> come on board. Yeah. I was like, who's this character who's yelling? Oh. <laughs> of course it's Savad. This guy. Who's this guy? Who's this? Who doesn't this Japan? say? And you're just like, of course it is. Because she doesn't know who he is. No, she doesn't it's know who he is. Who's this guy that's yelling? He is going to be her guide to, to Bingtown culture. Oh, God. She probably knows more than he does. And <laughs> I do admit to thinking it's kind of romantic that Rain is like, I'm going to surprise Malta and I'm going to come to the ball. It's very cute. I feel like she gets. And then he arrives to like, yeah, total know, chaos. fire and buckets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fill this bucket, man, in a, va- in a veil. Just fill it. Get the veil wet. I also like that him and Greg, Greg's like, I've heard you could pass. <laughs> this chapter did not endear me to Greg in any way. I know. No. Nope. <laughs> I was like, Greg, you're making it worse. He's such a turd. So much worse. Garbo. He's like, I've heard you're not as ugly as the rest of your family. Yeah. <laughs> it's just even everything he said about Althea. He's just like, oh, you know. Yeah, he made it very clear women, that eh? Thinks she needs his protection. Yeah, because Rain's like, I hear she could probably take care of herself. And he's like, oh, she thinks that, but, you know, she can't really. And I was like, die, Greg. What are you doing? (laughs) And and that's why she didn't go for you, Greg. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's also, like, gets rid of that, like, love triangle thing. Because, like, Greg's purpose wasn't to give us a love triangle. I think I think that his purpose was to like show us that Althea knows what she wants or at least knows what she doesn't want. Cuz mm-hmm. he started out as like the perfect candidate and then he just slowly becomes more and more terrible. Yeah. Well, more less and less of an option. Right, but it's like he you know, he starts out very <laughs> tentative and like stand. making practical plans and you think like, "Oh, okay, you know, He's, you know, he's taking this seriously and he's not mm-hmm. as much of an asshole as, like, you know, every other male. And so, and then slowly it's like, oh, no, he really does think that. Yeah. It's he like is you, susceptible you get, to the patriarchy. You get fooled by, like, his, like, practicality of, like, oh, yeah, Althea would, like, actually fit into my life to thinking that, like, it's a baseline acceptance of her and it's really, like, no, that he thinks she would fit right in. And when that's not like suitable to her because his life is not what she wants, then it's like, yeah, he he, like, then it it becomes like, Oh no, he doesn't actually accept her for who she is. He accepts like what he thought she was. The version of her that he wanted. Yeah. This is why I find Brashen to be such a relief when I get to him as a reader because he is one I mean like he has his posturing and he has his drug problems but they're all like very personal issues and he doesn't he doesn't have that kind of that like ego spreading that a lot of the the male mm-hmm. characters have yeah. where it's just like they know what's up and everyone just needs to fall in line kind of thing I mean, I mean he wants to like look out for Althea but it's not in the same way that like other people do Right. And he also, like, if she didn't choose him, she would, he wouldn't be like, that's the wrong choice, Althea. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone else does about He would everything be like, I'm does. sad, Althea. 
He, he would right, be but, moody, but he wouldn't be. But it would be like he would his personal feelings. Yeah. But, uh, in the end, he wants her to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> he would be pathetic, but he wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. But he wouldn't be judgy. <laughs> yeah. But I would argue that they are friends. He would too. judge himself. Like, yeah. Oh, why didn't I kick that sin and have it when I had the chance? (laughs) Right. He would blame himself somehow. He wouldn't be like, oh, she's dumb. Yeah. (laughs) Although Greg kind of blames Brashen, too, because he's still like, oh, like, he did something to her and, like, he has something over her and, like, it's all shady. And it's like, no, he's just, like, not as terrible as you about this specific thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the idea that she couldn't actually simply like him, you know, or like that it, it couldn't be that they're friends and that they understand each other. No, no. It's like he's got some hold on her. He's controlling yeah. her somehow or, or mm-hmm. you know, he forced her or something. Because for Greg, it's a competition. I like when he just he keeps going on about Brashin and like. Rain's just like, I don't care. I've got other things to deal with in my brain right now. Please stop talking. Yeah, like there's, I think I might be losing my mind right now, actually. And you could be the cause, but... <laughs> if he, if and when he meets Brajan, he's just going to be like, I've heard so much about you, and I'm so tired. <laughs> and I'm so tired of you already. Yeah, Rain definitely had during that whole chapter. He had that sort of like, like the the hugover vibe. Like <laughs> Greg is trying to talk to him, and he's just like, "God damn it!" Well, that's like the great thing about the veil, though, is that he can be like, <laughs> "I'm sort, I'm totally paying attention to you right now." We all know this from our mask costumes. It's like, I'm so fucking glad I've got a full face mask right now. <laughs> I'm napping behind this veil, yeah. bitches. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> totally cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. Look where? Fine. Uh, and that's how you to... get pictures where someone's looking left and everyone else is looking right. <laughs> it's fine. I can guarantee you that half of every picture that's taken of me when I have a helmet on, I have got my eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The uh, the the one costume I have that's like a super um, face covery one. I think I smiled in half of the pictures before I realized no one can see my goddamn face. Oh, I see that. I when I have all my masks on, I'm always smiling underneath. <laughs> uh, oh, um, I. So what have we learned? We've. I think we learned a little bit more about the economy of how these old traders, how uh, like families work, because we now know from what Johnny was saying that like these families would commission the ships. And it seems like they had like, it seems like each old, like, like rain wild trader family has like the thing they do. Mm -hmm. And then all the old trader families, they have like the routes that they go. So the people that own the Kendry do the river run, right? Mm -hmm. Like they just, that's all they do is they go up and down this river. I thought it was interesting that, so it was not the Cooper's family that originally held the loan, the lien on the, the vivacious. Right. Yes. 
even though they are definitely the ones that have provided the wood for every single ship. Maybe they're not the ones building them. Maybe so that's what why I posit is that the the families that own the goods being shipped, like because we know that like the Coopers have like these these flame jewels, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how people know them. They don't like no one really knows that they're doing the ship stuff, mm-hmm. and they have like this. So they're like the flame jewels people. And then the Kendry seems to go up and down. He's got some smuggling going on, but he's doing mostly like food and like essentials. So <laughs> whoever, whatever the toilet paper, yeah, whatever family he, uh, whatever family they work with, maybe that family owned the lean on the Kendry and so that was the tax back and forth between those two families and then everything flowed up to the Kuprus maybe I don't know or maybe it was an arrangement between like the the Kupru family and or Kuprus family and whatever other Rainwild family wanted to you know like hey we have a we we have a, a commission for a live ship and so maybe they just like bought the wood quote wood directly from the Kuprus and that was like mm-hmm. between them and then, yeah. like, the loan was directly from whatever Rainwild family to whatever trader family. Well, that's what I mean, because otherwise everyone would know that all the ships come from their family. Yeah. Right. Because that's who they'd be paying. Yeah. So it's like Rainwild trader families were like, we want to sponsor a live ship for these people. Yeah. yeah. Basically, because, like, so-and-so's family seems like they have a good idea. I mean, if you remember, like, when they all when they all settled here, they were all one group before they split off because some mm-hmm. people wanted to stay in the rain wilds where they originally tried to settle. And some people wanted to move away because it was like gross. Yeah. So <laughs> at, by that point, they probably were still like intermarried. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely got that vibe that it's, you know, it's not just bonds of tradition, like it's bonds of blood and kinship and marriage. Yeah, man, these people are gangsters. <laughs> 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 all that too but like literal you know there were there were only 300 families that went there in the first place and there's what like 50 left in bing town and like maybe maybe that many left in the rain wilds so right and it also makes sense like why not all the old trader families have a ship like you know mm-hmm. devad doesn't have a ship that's probably because his family didn't enter any into like a supply run agreement yeah. Mm-hmm. and get a ship they didn't so i guess a ship what was vivacia supposed to do originally i think she was supposed to go up and down the river and Ephraim well i know like, that's nah. what i'm saying like what what was she supposed to be trading in if she was gonna go up and down the river i don't know what what was the family that held her the loan for her whatever they sold i don't know yeah i don't know I don't that remember. it was directly said um trying to think of like the stuff they used to have like they used to send their because they have farms right like mm-hmm. ronica has yeah all of her fruit farms and they that probably was supposed to go up and then other good like more luxury goods were supposed to come down mm-hmm. or maybe and part of what efren was doing was like he ha- he would have like a route where he'd go you know up to like other ports and get you know exotic wares and then take those up the rain wild so like maybe his route was supposed to be like a giant like p shape or something and then he decided eh, fuck going up and down that river i'm just gonna do a circle yeah because yeah. i think i think that vivacia was not a river ship she was designed to be on the ocean so like mm-hmm. where whatever the trade goods were 
whatever they were getting from the rain wilds was not meant for the bingtown market it right. was meant for like you know jamelia yeah It was probably drugs. Probably <laughs> drugs. <laughs> but I, I think that um, a lot of their arrangement is based around hiding certain aspects of the rain wilds from the rest of the world. And so I think that mm-hmm. does make sense that the Kuprus would be selling their selling the wood to other rain wild families, which would then take it to the Bingtown families sort of like an like an in between if you're like hiding aspects of it. Mhm. Mhm. Okay, let's go to chapter ooh, 30. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, I yeah. had a Okay, so I had a, a conjecture about Amber oh, and like right. this could be total wild wild hair, but um so Rain was talking or musing about the dr- the dragon dreams he's having and how he's like seeing this ancient civilization and how all the elderlings people have like these weird eyes and one of the colors was copper and then they have like this weird skin tone that he's never seen in anyone else and all i could think was like amber and the way everybody every fucking description of her is about like her strange golden eyes and her you know the the strange hue of her skin that is like you know honey or wood or something like that and I was like I don't know is Amber like a straight elderling is she like an outcross is that even possible did she wander down from like you know some <laughs> outpost even beyond the the one by the mountain kingdom um, where does she come from why would she have like you know this affinity for wizard wood um, if uh, she you know, yeah, that was, mm-hmm. it was just a, a wild thought that I had, but like, it was just such a weird detail to include about their eyes and then like her coloring is, it's hit so hard. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I, I don't want to say yay or nay, but that is interesting mm. and more to come. <laughs> yeah. More to come. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like at this point, it's totally not anything beyond like ooh, that might be a connection so like yeah you know, like we'll... i can't say shit because there's like 12 other things i'd have to say first so <laughs> <laughs> well and, and i'm not necessarily asking for any confirmation because it's not there textually anyway it would clearly be a spoiler i'm just throwing out there to our interested cool. lovely readers and, and listeners that like hey i made that connection i don't know let's see where it goes y'all putting money on it <laughs> I'm, shit i might Okay, now we can take us away. All right, (laughs) chapter 30 is Shakedown. So, chapter 30 begins with Amber throwing an uncharacteristic fit over the cramped living conditions aboard the Paragon. She takes out her anger by kicking Jack's bag real good. So, Althea points out that it's real peaceful up top of the mast. And so, uh, Amber thinks that maybe, okay, that, that might be an option. Althea is having problems of her own, so they uh, they talk the tea. A cocky shit named Hap. Is this like Fitz's half? half? Yeah. H-A-F-F. Okay, well, it sounded half. like Hap on the audiobook, and I was like, ooh, no. ooh what's this? No. Uh, and it... Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> so Half has been subtly undermining uh, Althea's leadership and instigating the other sailors towards disrespect of her. 
uh, mostly because she's a woman. She is, uh, she's convinced she should beat the shit out of him, but uh, the clever half, half <laughs> appears to be a legitimate threat to her position as second mate. So Amber suggests that Althea instead find an opportunity to show the rest of the crew that she has the right stuff and that she's a better candidate than he is. Since they're sharing, Amber reveals that much of the reason that she is upset is that she is wondering whether or not she should have stayed with Malta. Curiouser and curiouser. So aboard Vivacia, Genkis has come to tell Kenneth that uh, they're getting close to Divi Town and that it smells, but not like normal, like bad, like real bad, like wet ashes. So everyone knows that this means that it's been raided. Uh, Kenneth's charm ma- mocks the pirate that his life has so many uh, parallels to that of Egrot's and that he's probably going to die the same way that Egrot did. As the ship gets closer, they learn that the destruction of Divi Town was substantial. There are only a few houses remaining, and they're just about to turn around when survivors start coming out of the forest and the remaining houses. So they set out a few boats, Kenneth, Sorcor, Wintro, Etta, and a few others take boats to the shore. Uh, Sorcor is reunited with his <clears throat> 15-year-old girlfriend, Alisane Folden. <laughs> so uh, Kenneth so marvels over up. the fact that uh, she appears to be crying but is happy, which is just like, was the weirdest observation. Uh, more evidence that he's just a psychopath. Um, Kenneth stupidly points out to the gathered mob that he told them that they should have put up watchtowers and a ballista. Uh, an angry man counters that they never would have attacked had Kenneth not uh, caught the satrap's ire by pirating slavers. So unable to take constructive criticism in any way, Kenneth rouses the anger of the <laughs> entire group. Uh, so now they're completely surrounded and the small pirate band brace themselves for combat. Sorcor and the Marietta's group are uh, also hard-pressed, but they are like 50 feet away and completely unable to help. So their group is both completely outnumbered and split up, so they're like in in dire straits. Bodge, I don't know how they spell it in the book, uh, a tavern keep. B-O-J. B-O-J. Okay, so I got pretty close. I got close. Uh... Bodge, the tavern keep, is the appears to be the leader of the remains of Divi Town, <laughs> and he definitely wants to kill Kennet. Uh, Bodge blames Kennet for all of their problems. You owe us. Whatever you've got on that ship, we're taking. So, shocking everyone, suddenly Wintrow pulls out a red Kennet 2020 hat out of thin air and puts it on his head. <laughs> he can't it all cockeyed, looking real cool. And he goes, hiding? Is that all you can think of? Kenneth tried to warn you. You'd rather hide here in the muck like some garbage-eating crab, hoping the world will never take notice of you. Choose a leader and stand up for yourself. So this shames the shit out of them. Uh, And also, apparently Wittro has some public speaking skills that he never told anyone about. It has uh, a profound effect, and a bunch of the slaves change sides over to Kenneth's, even though they're still, like, woefully outnumbered. Uh, despite the shift in numbers, Kenneth assumes that he's going to die and that there's not enough to 
you know, he's totally outnumbered. I don't know why he like rode to shore with five people and was like, "Hey, you guys fucked up," and now he's he's just like surrounded. <laughs> I imagine he's got like fifty people surrounding him, and he's just like flipping everybody off, and yeah. it's just so stupid. While he's sinking into the fucking like quicksand yeah, mud with his yeah, every peg ten leg. sentences he's like, "Yeah, I can't stand. I'm like this peg leg in the mud. It's not working very well." <laughs> So he needs to get himself a flipper. Bo- <laughs> yeah. Snowshoes. Bodge, intent on getting revenge before the pirate backup arrives, uh, charges Kenneth while he still has the advantage. Bodge smacks Wintro with his bat, but it's not enough to take him down. And uh, the kiddo shanks his ass. Wintro screams. Bodge screams. Kenneth is vaguely aware, aware of Sorcor screaming and mowing down people like a lawnmower. Edda is screaming and wrestling in the mud. Even the pirates in the boats halfway to shore are screaming. Wintro and Bodge trade more blows, but the knife appears to be deadlier than the cudgel, and the large tavern keep is uh, felled by a couple more shanks. Wintro, Kennet, and the tavern keep collapse into some gross game of twister in the mud. Uh, like a mother lifting a bus off of her child, Kennet is so enraged about being this dirty, and he picks up Bodge and tosses him <laughs> like a doll. <laughs> The dude is clearly dead, but Dennett cuts his throat anyway because he's a fuckboy. Then Kenneth kills the guy wrestling with Edda, and this seems to end the momentum of the fight. All Kenneth cares about is how dirty he is and that the dirty Edda is standing over him trying to protect him, and it makes him look like a sissy. <laughs> Despite that his earlier insistence that he was doomed, Kenneth looks over the mostly unharmed crew and confidently <laughs> believes that the mob had no chance from the beginning. Uh, so as Kenneth starts to leave the ruined town, the remaining, uh, folk of Divi town boldly ask him what's going to happen to them. And Wintro continues to shame them from what he was doing earlier. He convinces them to join Kenneth by telling them that the other pirate towns Kenneth has founded are doing like really, really well. So Kenneth believes that now that Wintro is his, like some kind of prophet or something. And uh, the chapter ends with Kenneth assisting the rebuilding of Divi Town as another little part of his pirate kingdom. I just imagine the charm bracelet while the stuff is going down and, and like, you know, and everybody is flocking to his side at the end, just being like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not what was supposed to happen. Literally half of this chapter is Kenneth complaining about how dirty he is. I know, right? It drove me crazy. It's like, oh my god, this is like it's like five sentences in a row. It's dirty. There's so much mud. Ew, it's gross. She's gross. Everything's gross. It's dirty. It's stinking. It's gross. It reminded me of like in the first book how everything it was smell. Like five yeah. billion times they talked about how sensitive he was to smell. Rachel should relate to this. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I mean, when I focus on stuff, that's kind of how my brain works. <laughs> Do you latch on and don't let go? It smells. No, it's so I smelly. don't. <laughs> we, did, we did just have a conversation about wet dog, didn't we? Yeah, yeah we did. <laughs> and I, I have a candle like six inches from my face right now. You just need to get like a Glade clip on, but like clip it to your bottom lip. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it right there. 
God. start putting lemon juice on a bandana or whatever he used to do before he we went to Divi Town. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I could go to Divi Town. Like, that would not be the place I went. Yeah, you live in New York in the summer, which is one of the smelliest places on the planet. Which is why I own so many candles. <laughs> <laughs> trash walls Anyway, back on track, sidewalk. back on track. Um... I don't know. It, it's been a while since we had a good fight scene. Pirate fight in the mud. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Good on Wintro. Wintro did well. Lessons to good Wintro use. seems to be like, won like over by Kenneth. Let's, I mean, remains to be seen if he actually feels that way, but he certainly was fighting for him pretty heavy there. Why do we think that this was the moment that Wintro was like, you guys all suck. Kenneth actually is like this great man. Well, I think he wanted to live. Yeah, that was going to be my... I don't know. I think maybe he's a little... He didn't trust in his knife fighting skills as much as... I think maybe he's been a little bit won over by Etta. Um, But I... It's true. She's drinking the Kenneth Kool-Aid. She might be rubbing Mm -hmm. off on him. Yeah, that that makes sense. I can also see him getting caught up in the, like... Like, we've we've seen Fitz get caught up in the... The berserkness of it all but like i could see him he's got like a new skill he can finally try out and this is like a pretty uh i've had exactly two knife ne- lessons and i'm gonna fucking kill you he went he went crazy I that Edda was proud of him for like still holding on to the knife at the end of the fight way to go he's really way good at taking go, some dude. shit Sorkor appears yeah. to be like some kind of killing machine. <laughs> like every time you see him, he's just like that in the middle. Be... He's just like surrounded by people just killing. Every time, ta- every how chapter would these he's people in, people stack up against Fitz and his axe. Oh, yeah, I maybe his axe is like star power in Mario. Like, Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's that his, he'd be he'd be taking people out, and then he'd be covered in mud for like the next three months. <laughs> he wouldn't care, unlike Kenneth. He'd just be like, yeah. "Eh." I love. And everyone would be good. like, "Wash yourself." Yeah. No one will be able to find me if I'm covered in mud. <laughs> Get me out of here. I couldn't. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I I I almost lost it when. Kenneth fell in the mud and they got so angry about it. <laughs> With one leg, lifts this huge guy up and just tosses him. God damn it, I did not he's want like, to get dirty so today. Angry. He was so upset about how muddy he was. Uh, what a bummer. <laughs> Doesn't he think, like, I'm going to go to that place where that tiny little rock is, and that's where I'm going to put my pick. Yeah, the, put it's, it on that it's, tiny rock. it's the only place he could, otherwise he's going to sink. <laughs> I'm just going to casually stop right yeah. here. <laughs> my... Everyone will come to me. <laughs> and they did. He should have pogoed himself. Um, I liked when Sorkor wants to bring his child bride with him, and <laughs> Kenneth's like, if you must, and he was so offended, and he's like, if I must, what the fuck are you talking about? And Kenneth's like, I mean, of course you must, like, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's your duty to protect her. Kidnap uh... this young girl and have sex with her. It's going to be great. <laughs> she belongs on a ship with a bunch of pirate men. Absolutely. Well, there's also so that moment where, like, everyone else. something about, I forget what it was, where, you know, Wintro and Etta had, like, a moment, and Kenneth was, like, jealous for a second, but then he was like, oh, yeah, I'm forcing them to be together. Right? I know. Right? This is a good, this is a result. He's, he's yeah. He's dumb. So, so do we feel like he's, um, it, that he's not actually emotionless, it's more that he's in denial about what his emotions are? I, think... I feel like he's like Dexter, <laughs> you know. Like occasionally he has an emotion, but he doesn't quite know what to do with it. But you know, he's just really traumatized from yeah. his, you know. He comes from trauma. equivalent of watching his, you know, mother yeah. die by chainsaw in a shipping container. <laughs> God, <laughs> his mom's still alive. She just doesn't oh, no. have a tongue. Well, what I'm wondering and is, he's like, exactly we can do that again. That. It can be so arranged. So now that Wintro's on his side, or if Wintro's on his side, is he gonna I've... like? Is he gonna be do a 180 and want Etta back and be like totally jealous of it, or like what's? No, I don't think Kenneth is allowed to want anything. He's like he's like a total wild card. He does like like what is he? I don't, I don't get it. I feel like he's he's sharing a whole lot more in general. Like he's letting them read his books, and he let Etta give the knives to him, even though he was like, "How did that asshole get those fancy ass knives?" <laughs> like <laughs> those are nice knives for a little kid. Like, those are expensive. Um, <laughs> So I do feel like he's, I don't know, like he is more giving, kind of. I don't know. Well, yeah, but like he's given him so little. Like, oh, I've given you a, a book and herbal. But for him, that's a lot. You, I let you talk to my girlfriend. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> but then like at some point, is it going to be like, I have given you so much. And Wintro's going to be like. Ex- what? But though? he has what his exactly? live ship, so does he? Will he really care? I don't know. Well, he also wanted to like let Wintro go back to his monastery, which is what fueled the insane plan to have Wintro and Etta sleep yeah. together and have wants... baby Vestrit for yeah. Vagasia. But now he's like Wintro is my prophet, so now he needs him to well, stay. Well, yeah, I don't know, mm-hmm. and I can't decide. I don't know if like. Is he gonna like deny him, Edda? Yeah, that's him, what I'm thinking. Like, like is it yeah. gonna? Is he gonna change his plan now that Wintro is something he wants? Useful. It's like I'm not super mad at Wintro for now becoming like the lead campaigner for Kennet because I'm sick of his like whiny bullshit story of just him being like, "But this is bad. He's a bad guy. He's gonna murder those bad guys." So, but now I also am not 100% buying that he actually thinks all of this of Kenneth. Unless he, he got brainwashed in the middle of the night. I don't know. Especially because, like, you know, three chapters ago they did have the whole conversation of, you know, he's doing all the right things, but. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe this was his awakening that, like, he did tell them to do these things. But. Kenneth is just so fucked up. 
His like his reasons for things are just so insane. <laughs> but they make perfect sense to him, and that's like, no, like just imagine if he was honest for a day and just told everybody exactly how he was thinking. Like they'd all be like, "What?" No, I think they'd all be like, "Ha ha, Kenneth's doing funny today." <laughs> he'd just walk around and be like, no, "Like if they knew he I was don't like honest, the way that guy's hair looks today, like, I think I'll murder him." <laughs> No, it's more like I might need to murder him later if his hair continues to offend me. <laughs> he does. He gives it I'll a just thought. Store He's that like, in the back of my mind. He puts it out there for, for himself. I was like, you know, what? let's sit on that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like when you he, play a video game, and you get to a new map, and you haven't decided where you're gonna go yet. So you want to like check all the different ways, decide which way you're gonna go. Because I feel like he he puts those things into his mind, but then he immediately forgets. Uh-huh. <laughs> unless he decides within like a very short period of time to act on it like if they come back like if he saw a guy with a bad haircut and was like oh if i see you know if i see him again and then the guy like walked by him again he'd be like oh mm-hmm. yeah now i gotta kill him now i gotta kill you because that was your that was on you that's not <laughs> on me <laughs> oh. is Alyssa still here or is she sleeping I fell asleep. Yeah, I kind of thought you might have. I got so cozy with my pusheens. Uh, what else? There was something else in this chapter, Eli. Oh, it was just more. There was another moment about Amber revealing, like, more of like her past. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, I love when she when she's like, "How do you do that? How do you read my mind?" And she's like, "It's common at the fairs." <laughs> like, I don't know. Made it seem like she's been going around with a carnival traveling, <laughs> giving people fucking fortune. Yeah, yeah. There was that, and then she said something about how she was used to having a place to herself. Uh-huh. Yeah, like having solitude. Yes. Well, what I thought yeah. was interesting is that she was talking about how th- she thought she should have stayed with Malta. Yeah. yeah. She's also still wondering about the nine fingers. Right. So now Malta is like the added element of all of that. And she's like, well, if I can't find the nine fingered slave boy and all these other things, but I had Malta, then maybe I should have stuck with her. Yes, but if they find the Vivacia. (laughs) I know. She'll find. I know. She'll find nine fingers and a nub. (laughs) And slave tattoo. A father tattoo. <laughs> I printed out that picture to like... keep in my office. It's great. <laughs> I do like that Althea's response is just like Malta. What the hell does right? Malta like, have to do what with the fuck? Why would you want to be? She's annoying. Nothing. <laughs> she just fell down for no reason. She's so dramatic and obnoxious. <laughs> I'm way cooler, but you should go because I would like to not have to room with you. That would be perfect. <laughs> yeah so apparently amber is a um, lonely carny who's <laughs> <laughs> far away from her true love because the whole thing about sometimes i think that's the hardest type of love of all like you know yeah like that was yeah, a voice of experience <laughs> she's a sad sack She's also a sad sack. It's just been a secret. She's such a foreigner. 
A stranger. The in fact a that they continue land. to just refer to her as the bead maker, the bead lady, the foreigner, like, that girl. And then Malta. So what? In the last section, Brashen was like, "Eh, she's uggo." And then Malta's like, "I don't like her. I don't." Like I know. Her why does everybody body? need to comment on her appearance? Why can't she just like be there? Yeah, no one else because is patriarchy. This kind of, like, I don't need to know what everybody thinks about everybody's body types. Her, her clothes really suck, but she's got these cool beads, so I guess that's fine. And Malta made that like really rude comment about. Uh, Althea is like, there's something wrong about her. <laughs> she ain't, she ain't, she ain't right normal. <laughs> well, I think because they all think she's a lesbian at this point. Oh, <laughs> With Amber. And that's like, for Malta, that's like the greatest insult ever. It's like, Joke's on them. There's no representation. <laughs> <laughs> Joke is on them. The, but you know, it's like it's like oh, Althea hanging out with this bead maker. They live in the same house. In her now they're pantaloons. Ew. They're all and they're <laughs> ugly together. And they wear pants. I would also like to. I I like it affects it me somehow. The, the last chapter when all the women were like running down to the docks to like help fight off the Chalcedians, and they were just like ripping their skirts off. Oh, hell. And like you know, running it. It's like yeah, made. because those are pants. <laughs> it's easier. Yeah. Um, it's only fine in an emergency. <laughs> yes. Oh God, I... not for practicality at any other time. Yeah. You better be fucking like when dying. you're a sailor. And it better be to save all the goods in a warehouse and not lives or any or yourself. <laughs> oh my God, if Kepria says the word proper or improper one more time, I'm going to lose it. Throw my phone against the wall. Now you know how Malta feels. I did like when Malta was just like, I'd rather carry a bucket thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're gonna watch you're gonna watch it. But what will they think? Like, It'll be so improper. Oh. It's like oh, literally an emergency. Come on, Selden, let's go carry buckets. <laughs> yeah, the world's ending, but they might think it's improper. Okay, let's see. Uh, every episode prompts. This be my crew, character introductions and ex- exits. We met the Kendry technically in this uh-huh. section. Had um, we met Rain's brother before? No. No. He's been okay. talked about. Yeah. But we we met him. He seems like a bro. Seems, yeah. <laughs> Stock market bro. <laughs> um. Oh. oh. Well, the first the first mate and that hop that hop half half. Oh. I feel like we're gonna hear more half. from half. I think he. Maybe he's doing the whole, like, pick on Althea because he's got a crush on her situation. Maybe. Right. And what's the name of the other guy? LaVoy. Big boy LaVoy. Big boy LaVoy. <laughs> it's funny because I thought the audiobook was saying LaVoy. And so it's like, he's LaVoy. LaVoy. <laughs> Don't mess with LaVoy. <laughs> um... X marks the spot. Where the heck are we? Well, guess what? It seems like everyone's going to the same place. 
Like, finally. We're all about yes. to be in the same fucking place. Except for the well, paragon, yeah. who's just fucked off. Uh, oh. But they're also headed for where Vivacia is. So, so it's like we're going from all over the map to two places. Yeah. yeah. Which is good, because we only have two sections left. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up. Uh, what a tangle! What are the serpents doing? Who, knows? Who cares? Thankfully, nothing. Slamming. <laughs> we don't know. Hopefully, not using the other slamming. live ships. I expect when we see them again, they'll be smarter or remember more or something. You think more arts and crafts? More arts and crafts. Like, they'll be like they're doing cosplay now, now, and like, oh. yeah, <laughs> they're wearing the ship. They're cosplayed right? as live ships. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> how they infiltrate <laughs> speaking of the ship's talk what did we learn about live ships in this section we learned how to fuck up a live ship that's what we learned <laughs> shortcuts and bad and supplies they, and that they still have the memories of dragons um like you don't need the serpent venom to awaken yeah. that they're always there lurking if you're if you're able to hear it yeah, which apparently the ship itself can't hear. <laughs> but like, why did Paragon say I can fly again if he's not in touch with his inner dragon? I mean, right? I think I think you know because Vivacia says sometimes she can you know sense that stuff that she mm -hmm. you know was something else, and I think they probably all can a little bit, and it probably slips out from time. Yeah, to time. with the maybe with the Kendry, it seemed like it was for. maybe they didn't. The Kindry didn't know when it was being, like, dragon-controlled or whatever. Like, it seemed like when it slipped out, they didn't remember it afterward. Mm -hmm. It's like multiple personality yeah. disorder. Yeah. A bunch of schizophrenic ships, run, like, sailing around. <laughs> That's comforting. <laughs> Is this the patriarchy, misogyny, capitalism, slavery, and fashions from Jamalia? I mean, Cirilla is really trying her best right now. Like, she is, she has somehow managed through her own just force of will to get off the fucking ship where everyone controls her but herself. And she's this close to, like, some sort of, like, free agency. Um, and then gets stuck with fucking Devon. Yeah, but he's stupid, uh, right? Like, yeah, I mean, like, he's, he's an idiot, gonna so that's going to be easy to manipulate good. and manage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of fashions from Jamelia, uh, Malta doesn't have any. Uh, she had to <laughs> remake her own shit. She needs buttons. <laughs> Poor Malta. Uh, slavery. Uh, don't forget that there's a lot of slaves working on the Paragon and probably in the hold right now. Yeah, sneaking out of town. Yeah. Hope nobody in Bingtown was depending on slave labor for their fight. Right? There's, like, a lot of people waking up, like, wait, where'd all my maids go? Right. <laughs> I'm hungry. No one brought me breakfast this morning. It's weird. They'll, they'll have to go to Ronica and be like, how do you make bread? <laughs> <laughs> Reminder for the next reading section, we're going to do chapters 31 through 35, which is not quite the end. So second to last. And there's um, another, I mean, this shit just keeps. And I have two content warnings for you on chapter 31, mm. more rape trauma, and chapter 33, attempted rape of a point of view character. So rapey, Robin wow. Hobb. 
so rapey. I know these books Jesus. Are <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can email us at buckkeepradio at gmail.com. And I'm Rachel. You can follow me at Darth Rachel on Twitter and Darth underscore Rachel on Instagram. I'm Alyssa. You can find me at alyssamaynard.com. I'm Jenny, and you can find me at Faceless Bray on Instagram. And check out uh, Althea and her French tuck and Will Turner Brashen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Eli, and you can find me at Chewy Bread Cosplay on Instagram. I'm Elena. You can find me at Moth Elena. And I'm Ashley at Ladybird Parker on Instagram. All right, next up the spoiler section. Ew. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried. I know. We all tried. Mm-hmm. All there. Almost. All the clues that well, Alyssa didn't know. The problem is that Elena doesn't know about all the stuff. No, but I think her theory is actually not terrible because. No. Where did they all come from anyway, right? And like, there's a bunch of prophets in Kelsingra, so I don't think she's technically right. wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Yeah, I don't, I don't think she's yeah. technic- technically wrong. Just doesn't know the character well enough yeah. to be able There's to just, guess. like, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of time in between. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Ashley to pick up on anything, and she's not, and it's hurting me. <laughs> well, you know what? Alyssa said she never got it either until it was spelled out for her. I mean, I know I wouldn't Literally, be. the last I page. I know I wouldn't be. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't either, but it is very obvious But then no what way. do we do? Do we just let it ride until we get the fool riding up on the horse named Malta and see if it goes, wait. <laughs> <laughs> or it's a great we, scene. Or do we, do we explain? I don't know. I mean, when does she start carving Fitz's that's, face? That's the last chance. This is the, That's the last chance, and it doesn't happen until book three. <laughs> I'm, I'm, almost, I'm like, curious now if I would have got it by, at this point. I don't think I would have, but I'm curious. Just because, I mean, some of the... It is pretty, like... Yeah, it's pretty, pretty full. Well, it's also, like... Sorry, I cosplayed. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like... <laughs> Ashley's not wrong. I knew before. Ashley's well, I mean, yeah, we, like, we, Jenny and I have read the other yeah. six Fitz books. I mean, it's pretty obvious by the oh, last right. trilogy. But oh, like, yeah. even that without that, like the Golden yeah. Fool, like Lord Golden looks like. I mean, you would get it just from that. Just yeah, Lord color, Golden like, and Amber are like the same era of the Fool. They just wear different clothes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like, you know, he talks about a lot of that stuff in that trilogy, too. Yeah. In terms of, like, right. the dragon. Yeah, yeah. Like you'll the, figure that the out. Like, the rain wild um, traders and... It's just so long from now, it's all.
But, uh, but I wish, I just, I kind of wish that, you know, Kefria, instead of saying disfigured hands, was like, hmm, is that a bit of silver ice? Yeah, I mean, that was a little bit of, that was like a, like trying to hide it a little bit, but. But I think also that's like when, when Ashley said that it's weird that everyone keeps commenting on how Amber looks and no one else. It's because Robin Hobb is like trying to signal that the way that this person looks is significant. Yeah. Yeah. It's like who else constantly gets described by their skin tone right. and their eyes and how But weird the problem they are. is is that the colors are slightly different and also that Fitz never really paid attention that much. Like <laughs> like we could talk about because well, he how is much... changing. There is a transition. Yeah. But that doesn't make sense right now. Like you that I think that a lot of what makes it hard to spot is that so Amber is personality wise like I guess pretty similar to the Mountain Fool but yeah. n- but not particularly similar to the like fighting wit fool that we kind of have in our heads. That's because Fitz makes mm. the fool sad and bitey. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think there's when whenever he talk, whenever Amber talks about you know any of the like prophecy stuff, it's like very yeah foolish. yeah yeah, you know, and and definitely like you know, talking about needing space alone mm-hmm. and like all that kind of stuff is. I mean, you can. I mean, obviously, it's very easy to see the clues. When yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. It is, but. It is funny to think, though, that, like, Ashley, who has the background of of watching, watching, reading the original trilogy, is not getting it at all. Whereas Elena, who's only read the first book, and so really only knows the very young fool, is closer to, like... Mm-hmm. Not because she no, thinks No, but it's she fool, just though. knows there's something up. Yeah, well, I think Ashley thinks there's something up, too. She just doesn't know yeah. what it is. Although, I, when they brought up, you know, the the love that Amber clearly has, I'm like, wait till they realize it's Fitz. <laughs> well, she's paying attention. She's paying attention. So when the carving happens, that'll be our last, our last chance. Uh... Yeah, we should decide if we are going to reveal it. Or just, I mean, at that point, you may as well just wait till the next book. Yeah, I feel like if they don't get it by the end of the third book, you might as well let it ride. Uh, I, the only other thing I wanted to say was that, you know, how you think that we're about to, like, get into, like, well, actually, never mind. You guys get off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Of the surprise. Okay. Sorry, I was about to talk about the end of the, the... book. <laughs> okay. The, the spoilers of the spoilers Bye-bye. for realsies. The real spoilers. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. 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 Okay, so you know how like you think that we're about to like get into a like a rousing pirate interaction, one ship versus another ship, <laughs> you know, while like Bing while Bingtown burns or some shit, and it turns into a tea party. <laughs> it's like actually we're going to have a tea party. And the only action will be a <laughs> runaway carriage ride that, like, doesn't even happen on screen. It's so annoying. 
So many people say Mad Ship is their favorite of the trilogy, too. I don't know. It's not mine. Sorry. I, uh, (laughs) when it was like, oh my god, I'm at a cotillion. What's the fuck? What's fucking happening? The scene, it's so long, the cotillion. And like, there's like four different dances. And I'm like, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I don't know what these dances are. So I just like input like all the dances from Pride and Prejudice. I'm like, those are the dances that are happening. <laughs> I, I, sorry, the brain. Rain and Malta's dance happens yes. in this book. I did love that. I mean, I found it was nice. Yeah, that's, that was good. But then like, I'm into that was all drunk and like hitting on her and like trying to grab her ass and shit. So oh, God. that part's not great. I need a CW for that. No, it's okay. Cause Malta's not like upset by it. Oh yeah, all right, yeah. Ugh. <sighs> Fuck's sake, Robin. <laughs> Exhausting me. <laughs> this trilogy does make me very tired. It is full disclosure, not my favorite at all. Um, it's it's very heavy handed. I do when like it comes these to this. characters, and I like that they do all of this work with the magic that we don't really get with the others because the others have such a small point of view. You know, it's like mm-hmm. whatever happens to Fitz, and like that's it. So like these books do a huge, they do a huge amount of work opening it up and like and telling and showing us, not just telling us that there's just an infinite more magic and magic systems and culture and technology and all you know all that shit but i just i love boats but i'm so tired from cirilla and it's just like the stuff with althea coming up can't wait i just yeah that... Not falling asleep because I'm bored by you, but I'm just like, Jesus. Well, it's like <laughs> retreat, right? I mean, like, it's funny because I was able to, like, read ahead and get Mad Ship done. And now that I've hit the third book, I, like, can't bring myself to to read it. Like, I just keep opening mm. it and then, like, looking at it and then putting it down. Yeah. Because I know what's ha- what's coming. And it's like, I've already, like, when is enough of this enough of this? Like... It just doesn't For real. Like, it's like like when Althea with like the attempted rape with Althea that's coming up with freaking Lavoy, and then she like beats him up and drags him up onto the deck, and mm-hmm. then like Brashen's like, "What's wrong here?" and she's like, "Nothing's wrong." And I'm like, "Motherfucker, throw that guy overboard!" Like right, like tell Brashen and let him. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> yeah. like Brashen already is like, I kind of know what happened, and instead of like beating that guy to death. <laughs> Mm-hmm. which he should have done <laughs> he totally should have done if althea wasn't gonna do it it would have been like yeah. no no we don't have rapists on this ship like right let's what draw some fuck? lines like i know these i know every single one of these people are pieces of shit and maybe he's like hey if i kill this one rapist i've got to go kill the other 12 rapists on you know currently bilging the pump yeah. or whatever they do and like <laughs> <laughs> Not the best crew. Yeah, but, like, the the fact that, like, Althea is placed as a complicit person in this whole, like, scheme of being, like, it's fine, this is just the way it is on ships, and I've bested him, and now I'm in charge, and he won't bother me anymore, and I'm like, uh, I hate it. Just hate yeah. it. <laughs> What's not encouraging is the 
quantity of sexual abuse and to what end that's yeah. not encouraging to, to, to what end really because it's like okay we had this one like but it's like oh well actually althea now you get i, I just it almost feels like a punishment for her being too successful or too confident or too badass where it's like you know like etta only achieved her badassery because she was already a whore like you can't but like the playing field was already leveled with like the women in althea's world and with her like she already had like these struggles to overcome and it's like yeah, another I agree. one i agree well because he's the bad guy right he's gotta like come in and be a bad guy it's going to be a struggle for sure. I uh, yeah, I ugh. I know that these <laughs> and I know that I know I know why these are some people's favorite books. There are more than one point of view. There's a lot of female characters and they also end relatively happy. Like there's happy yes. endings. And yeah. it's kind of like the only like the Fitz books not none of them have happy endings. Like each trilogy, <laughs> each trilogy is devastating. So I understand why like people say the Madship is their favorite. Like I get it. It's just this one particular hump that I cannot I just cannot get over it. Even what I'm trying to say is that there doesn't there doesn't need to be an an end or nothing needs to be a means to an end but the way that is depicted and experienced is gratuitous yeah i agree that's why i was trying i wanted to clarify yeah what i was trying to say right because it's not like in real life it's ever a means to an end or right yeah yeah that's what... it's random and horrible and or coercion or control like there's a thousand reasons and ways that it happens and it's never good enough like it's never mm -hmm. the reasons for it are never good enough and um so i get that that's what's being injected into the story and like how hard it is and no matter how powerful you get in this world you cannot be protected from this like that's that's why it's there i get it it's just how many times must we live through it as yes <laughs> exactly a few more times <laughs> a few more times and then we can think about oily paragon and <laughs> yes. his new face, his, new face. <laughs> his beautiful not his beautiful symmetrical his nose glistening and... muscles <laughs> his muscles his four sturdy hooves Oh, yay. Yeah, we're going to do Xena Marathon on Thursday. Yes, I hope okay. it works this time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Is, yeah. Let us end with that because that's a very good, good. That's a very good place to stop and think. Really, <laughs> <Riley laughs> Paragon and his four glistening hooves. Yes, nay. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.